0: Hello students of Seneca and welcome to this episode of the Psychology Revised podcast. In this episode we're going to give you a quick rundown of the things you need to know before your exam tomorrow. So this is called, we call it the night before podcast, we're going to run through a few things specific to your paper 2 A-level exam um, and we're just going to put your mind at ease hopefully by going through a few of those topics um, with you. My name's Richard and the first thing I'd say is like, you're doing the right thing by listening to this podcast but make sure you don't overwork yourself the night before the exam, because that just have be safe in the knowledge that you've done a lot of work up until this point, and um, you have a lot of knowledge saved in your in your head. So be confident in that and move forward uh, with a good night's sleep. Otherwise, if you're working too late, you won't get that. So we're going to start by looking at some of, um, at uh, a couple of approaches to psychology, and first of all, we're going to look at the cognitive approach. And that is, um, that basically uses, the cognitive approach uses, um, explains human behaviour in terms of thought processes, such as beliefs and memories. And it argues that if thinking changes, behaviour will also change. So the cognitive approach explains human behaviour in terms of internal mental processes. And this contrasts with learning approaches, which focus on the behaviour that can be observed from the outside. And the approach, is, the approach focuses on cognitive processes, such as memory, perception, language, attention, and thoughts and beliefs. Now, understanding these mental processes is seen as key to understanding human behavior. So for example, Noam uh, Chomsky in 1959 explained that language can't be learned through classical or operant conditioning. Instead, we build, mental, build up mental models of the rules of grammar, such as the idea that in English, we form the past tense by adding ed to a verb in many situations. So cognitive, the cognitive approach is linked to an effective approach to therapy for disorders called Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, or CBT. Now CBT tries to solve problems such as anxiety and depression, by changing people's beliefs and habits and tackling harmful patterns of thinking. So to recap some of that, remember that cognitive behavioural therapy can be used to treat anxiety and depression through changing um, harmful patterns of thinking. And understanding cognitive process is key to understanding human behaviour. And it was Noam Chomsky that proved this by saying that we don't learn uh, to form the past tense through classical or operant conditioning. Thoughts and, now, thoughts and memories are not stored in separate pieces of information, but they are linked together into structures called schemas or schemata. These, uh, these influence our thinking and behaviour. So a scheme is a cognitive structure where thoughts and memories are linked together, and it influences future thinking. Uh, schemas derive from learning throughout life, and because of this, schemas are influenced by culture in which you go in which you grow up in. A young child tends to have very simple schemas about objects, si- um, situations, and animals. According to the research by Jean Piaget, um, new information is added to schemas through a process called assimilation. But sometimes, due to inconsistent information, the, uh, a new schema forms through a process called accommodation. So, for example, a young child may have a schema for a bug that includes both spiders and insects, but as they get older, they learn that a spider is not a type of insect. So the spider schema and insect schema become separate in the child's mind. A British researcher Frederick Bartlett uh, showed how memories can be distorted by schemas. When he told some, his students stories about Native American ba- a, a Native American battle, they tended to miss at, miss parts out and change things that were later recalled when they later recalled the stories. This is because parts of the stories did not fit with the participants' cultural schemas. Now a stereotype is an example of a schema. It is an oversimplified set of ideas about a group of people that can late, uh, affect later thinking and behavior towards the, the, those groups of people. So, next, let's have a look at the biological approach to psychology. So, every person has a unique genetic code, and this arises through genetic variation. Genetic variation the genetic difference between individuals is what contributes to a species adapt uh, adaptation to its environment. In humans, genetic variation begins with an egg, uh, about 100 million sperm and fertilization. And the egg and the sperm each contain 23 chromosomes containing a long string of genetic material known as deoxyribonucleic acid, which you'll know as DNA. DNA is made up of many different genes. Now, genetic variation is what contributes to a species' adaptation to its environment. In each chromosome, sequences of DNA make up the genes that may control physical traits such as eye or hair colour. A single gene may have different variations, known as alleles. For example, these alleles may cause the carrier of the gene, of that gene to have blue eyes or green eyes when an egg uh, when a sperm and egg fuse each parent contributes half the genetic information carried by the offspring and the resulting physical characteristics of the offspring which are known as their phenotypes are determined by the genetic material from their parents which are called their genotypes so phenotypes are the physical characteristics of offspring and genotypes the genetic material from the parents. Although our phenotype, remember the physical characteristics of the offspring, is partially controlled by our genotype, it is actually as a result of a combination of genetic and environmental influences. Our environment is incredibly important in determining not only when and how our genes express themselves, but also in what combination. Although genes provide an important biological blueprint for our bodies, they also have an effect on our behaviour. And a famous study shows that both our genes and our environment play an important role in the expression of psychological disorders. So there's also, you need to know about Darwin's theory of evolution by natural selection, and that can be applied in the field of psychology. Evolutionary psychologists try to explain psychological traits by... Uh, as survival-enhancing survival adaptations. So in simple terms, the theory states that organisms that are better suited to their environment will survive and reproduce, while those that are poorly suited to their environment will die off. And that is all we're going to look at for biological approaches. So let's have a look at something slightly different now. i have looked at a couple of approaches to psychology. Let's have a look at some research methods and in particular look at ethics around research methods. So ethics is a very important and controversial topic in psychology. Participants must consent to, uh, to all that they could be subjected to and sometimes animals, uh, animal subjects must be used instead. So today scientists agree that good research is ethical in nature and is guided by a basic respect for human dignity and safety. But it has not always been that case. There's plenty examples in the past where that that hasn't happened. So modern researchers must show that their research, uh, the research they perform is ethically sound. And any experiment involving the participation of human subjects is governed by extensive strict guidelines designed to make sure that the experiment does not result in harm to anybody. Now, each participant must sign an informed consent form before they can participate in an experiment. Now, what an informed consent form is, is it provides a written description of what the participants can expect during the experiment, including any potential risks and implications of the research. It also lets the participant know that they are their involvement is completely voluntary and they can dis- be discontinued without a penalty at any time. Furthermore, the Informed consent guarantees that any data collected in the experiment will remain completely confidential, so it won't be able to get um, tracked back to the person involved. And if a research participant is under the age of 18, their parents or their legal guardians, they're required to sign the informed consent form on their behalf. Now, while the informed consent form should be as honest as possible, sometimes deception is necessary to prevent participants' knowledge of the exact research question Uh, from affecting the results of the study. So deception involves purposely misleading experiment um, participants to maintain the integrity of the experiment, but not to the point where deception could be considered harmful. In cases where deception is involved, participants must receive a full debriefing upon conclusion of the study. Now, medicine car psychologists conduct research involving animal subjects instead of human subjects because the level of consent uh, is is needed is lower, and often these researchers use rodents uh, as subjects for experiments. This does not mean that animal researchers are immune to ethical concerns, the humane and ethical treatment of animal research subjects is also a critical aspect of this type of research, and researchers must design their experiment to minimise any pain and distress to animals serving as research subjects. So let's have a look at some two to four mark questions to do with research. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to ask you a question. I want you to either pause the podcast and have a think about the answer, or I'll give you a little bit of time to think about it as well, but then I'll go through what the answer is. So explain the purpose of a pilot study in research in psychology. Well, a pilot study is a small scale study which is done to test out various aspects of methodology before a full study is run. And in general, it's done by a small numbers of participants that uses similar materials, procedures, instructions, and so forth. So this allows researchers to check that things work in the experiment. It can also allow minor modifications to instructions, for example, or an, uh, an alteration to the time allocated to the task. In some circumstances, pilot studies may reveal a flaw or ceiling effects, showing that the task was too hard or too easy, and again, then that can be modified. Now it could be costly and a waste of time to run a large-scale study without sorting out these issues first, so that's why pilots are used and that's why they're so useful. So a random sample is a selection of participants for a research study. To be truly random, it is it should be the case that every participant in the target population has the same chance of being selected. There are various ways of doing this. One would be to give every member of the target population a number, and then to use a computer to to generate uh, a listing of random numbers. Every person whose number has been chosen, is then invited to participate in the experiment. And that allows for a completely random set of target um, targets that you're using. Secondly, explain what a random sample is. Well, we just talked about that. So suggest a hypothesis that would be suitable for a certain study. So I'm going to read to you now a little passage to um, and you can you've got to tell me what would be suitable for this study so a team of psychologists ran an uh, a natural experiment into memory for passwords working together with a major music website they investigated the complexity of passwords that its customers used on their accounts and looked at whether people had requested a password reminder the researchers believed that passwords which are based on real words, will be better remembered because they can be visualised or linked to meaningful information. The researchers found that passwords based on non-words, for example like a list of random, random letters and numbers and maybe like things like pound signs or forward slashes, were much more likely to be forgotten which would then lead to a request for a password reminder Then the password is based on real words. For example, something like surfer one or something like that. Their opportunity sample, the customers of the website were mostly aged between 20 and 29. So again, back to the question, suggest a hypothesis that would be suitable for the study. Well, the hypothesis I've come up with, uh, it isn't actually exactly word for word for this, but along this sort of lines, the hypothesis could be something like passwords which contain real words will lead to significantly fewer password reset requests compared to passwords composed of non-word strings of characters. So was the study sample representative of the target population? Explain the answer you give. So on the whole it seems that the sample were representative of the target population. After all, the target population was presumably people who use this website, um, and everyone whose data was studied was by definition a user of the website. So even though the sample included quite a narrow range, age range, it could still be representative if um, that is the group that typically uses this, this music site, and therefore the population that researchers aim to study. So I think that's probably all we're going to talk about today uh, in this episode. Um, last thing I want to do is just run through a couple of stress busters, stress busting tips to help you before the exam tomorrow. So make sure you take regular breaks if you're when you're doing revision. Do some exercise. Really important, really good for your mental health and your stress levels to get a bit of exercise done. Make sure you have a proper meal both tonight and also in the morning before your exam. And don't forget... You've got this, all right? You've um, you spent a lot of time working really hard to get to this position. The exam's tomorrow. Think about the end of the exam tomorrow, how great you're going to feel to have one more exam down and one more step closer to the end of your exams. So the last thing to say is from everyone at Seneca, best of luck tomorrow. We hope it all goes well for you and we'll see you again soon. Good luck for your exams. We're going to be releasing night before podcasts before every exam. And if you head on over to YouTube on every weekday, we are going to be doing live streams at 4.45 and 5.30. So make sure you subscribe. And while you're at it, rate us five stars. We're amazing. (laughs) Good luck.